0: Alright, so I obviously didn't scare too many people away with the syllabus last time. Looks like everybody's back here. Alright, so we have a couple of assignments that I gave you last time and I told you I'd put due dates up there to make them a little more official. And extra credit assignment, which I think six people in this class have done so far, which is great, is due on Monday. So you've got till then, that's subscribing to the podcast that I mentioned last time and um, sending me an email from your Hawkmail account just confirming that you did did do that. And if you've already done it, you should be able to go on D2L and find your points there. It should show 10 extra credit points on your if you go into my grades on it. So you should see that there. If you're not seeing it, let me know. Because it means I either filed you away accidentally without giving you the credit, in which case you're sitting in my folder for this class, or I didn't get your email. So one of the two happened. So. If you did send it and didn't get don't see credit, let me know, you know, after class and we'll take a look at that. Take a look at it. Homework 1, which is on chapters 0 and 1, will be due on Friday the 31st, not not next time, but a week from Friday. And we should be through we'll be through chapter 0 this week and should be all the way through chapter 1 by the end of by the end of that week for you. The first quiz I put up will be available starting that same day. I'm normally going to give you probably you know, three to four days on them. I put a little extra because the holiday's in there and I didn't want to make it due on Monday when we're not even here on Monday, so it's actually due Wednesday. Which means I can at least remind you, so if I tell you the quiz is there and you completely forget about it and you go away for the holiday weekend and then you come back and you didn't have, don't have a zero on the quiz, you'll at least get a reminder to take it in class that day that it's, it's still available. So, that'll be available. That will cover chapters. Oops. Sorry, in your case it covers chapters 0 and 1. Gotta watch out as date switches because your chapters don't match up between this class and the planetary astronomy class I teach right before. Yours is chapter 0 and 1. So chapter 0 that we'll start on today and chapter 1 that we'll be covering. Either start on Friday or begin next week. So, And again, I'll be doing that. I'll have that up there for you daily during the semester. and. Just to remind you sort of what's coming up and what assignments are going to be be due. Questions on assignments? No? Okay. Picture of the day for today. We have a beautiful scenery picture. And looking here, it's a nice picture. It's Clouds Near the Edge of Space is the title. So how do we have clouds up that high and what do we know? What you see, it's a nice scenery, a water view off in the distance from clouds up in the sky, but no, there's no planets out there that you're looking, you're not looking for a dot in there, you're not looking for stars in the sky there. What we're really looking at is the clouds. And you see there's a couple different types of clouds here, you'll see some very white clouds up in here, way up in this area. You'll see some very dark clouds down further. The ones we're looking at are the ones that are high up. So the ones that are high up, those are very high high clouds in the atmosphere, but 80 kilometers up, almost 50 miles up above the surface of the earth, so way, way way up there. And the reason, you know, they look nice and bright and white, like you're used to seeing a cloud, right? And these other ones look much darker. The reason is the sun in this picture is below the horizon, so the sun is not up above. Sun is down in here someplace, you know, hiding below the horizon. So most of the clouds, the ground, is in shadow, right? There's no sun up, so there's no no light. Very little light, it's just everything is in shadow. There's no sun out to be illuminating it. Even with some of the clouds, some of the lower clouds are dark. Not a big storm cloud, no, it's just a regular cloud, it's just not being illuminated by the sun, so it tends to look darker. These clouds that are so high up in the atmosphere are actually still being illuminated by the sun. So that's what they are, they're so high up that if you were up with those clouds you'd still be seeing the sun around the curvature of the earth. Now you see that happens if you ever watched watched the shadows at a sunset, right, and you watch as they cover the ground and then you can watch them sort of climb up a tree. You know, The top of the tree can still be in bright sunlight while the ground is in shadow. The sun is set for you on the ground but if you climb the top of the tree, guess what? You'd still be able to see the sun. Same thing here except on a much bigger scale. You're going up 50 miles into the sky but you can still see the sun around the curvature of the earth. Now the other interesting thing about this is what time it was taken. This was taken in Sweden and this was taken, you know, looks like what? You know, twilight right after sunset? So thereabouts? It was actually taken at midnight. Now why? If you've ever traveled that far north, if you've been to northern Scandinavia, if you've been to Alaska, northern Canada, you you get times during the summer Well, if you get far enough north you get times where the sun never sets. Sun would be up. Sun would come and go down like it's going to set over there and then just turn around and come right back up. It never actually sets. Well here that didn't quite happen. This is you're not that far north and it's later in the summer. The sun was actually below the horizon but not that far below. So there are actually many times if you're that far north on the earth where it never gets completely dark not a place where you'd want to put a telescope, right? It never gets dark, you're not going to want to put a telescope in an astronomical observatory up there to try to look at the stars when you're not going to be able to see them for part of the year. Of course, maybe you would. What's going to happen six months later? It's going to be dark. It'll be completely dark. You'll get days if you're far enough north where the sun would never rise. So you've heard of land of the midnight sun. If you're far enough up in Alaska, the northern tip of Alaska. There are days, you know, the first few days of summer where the sun just makes a circle around the sky, stays up the entire day. There are days in December where the sun never gets above the horizon, stays below the horizon the entire time. So that's another thing that you get to see out of this. So, not showing any astronomical objects other than the Earth there, but a little bit, just some little concept of some of the things we'll be talking about in the coming chapters, perhaps, in terms of, you know, how perspectives as to how we see things. Questions? 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 No questions. All right. All right. Well, I was finishing up the syllabus. I didn't. I got through most of it. We went through all the assignments. But some of the things I didn't get through. And I just want to summarize real quickly. I mean, even though they're on the syllabus for you, I just want to remind you that we've gone through them in class. So there aren't questions for you later. In terms of submitting assignments, I give you a due date, that doesn't mean you have to wait to the due date. As I said, some of you have already done the extra credit assignment Great, It's done and you're graded. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Don't forget to assignment for me. Alright, so you know, you're done and graded. If you finish the homework up early, you know, I, if you want to wait until I get through all the material, that's fine too. But you know, if you finish it up early, give it to me. That's fine. It doesn't mean you're going to get it back earlier. I'll grade them all together, but you can be done with it and turn it in and not have to worry about it. You can also submit any of them electronically. And I thought I'd changed all these. I think I changed them on here. I probably, probably It may all still say Blackboard on your syllabus. They should all be D2L, since we're now D2L. I thought I'd fix them all, but I changed a bunch of them earlier. But I've also set up, in order to, for you to be able to submit them, If you want to submit them electronically, I used to do it by email, but I had trouble with things getting lost. Whoops. So, what I do now is uh, if you go on to the course page on D2L, which hopefully more of you have looked at now, It could be on time. (laughs) All right. So, most of you have looked at now, if you go into the Dropbox here, the Dropbox area, gives you an area for to submit homeworks or article reviews or solar observations. So the three main things that you might submit electronically. So if you do the homework you can just go into that, go into homework submissions, submit your homework. The only thing that I ask is if you're going to do that is please title it homework one for the first one and homework two for the second. Because when you've submitted five of them and you give them all and they have random names or they just say homework, then I'm sitting there trying to figure which one, I have to look at the dates. If you just title them homework one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, if you're going to submit them all through there, that's fine. So that, that's the way to submit them electronically. And you go in there and all you do is set it up and attach your file, you know, save your things into a document, attach the file right there, and that submits it. The nice thing with this is that it will send you an email confirmation back in D2L that says you submitted it. Whereas when you send a regular one through email, you don't get that. So you have a confirmation in this case that you've actually submitted it. So if I don't find it, if something happens, save that email. It's in your mailbox on D2L, which you can't email from, but you can receive email in. So That's another big issue that I won't get into. That's bugging a lot of us that we still can't have the email fixed. But it's been a problem. But you do get that confirmation, so when you submit your article reviews, if you're doing them early, you can go ahead and submit article review one, two, three. If you're doing them all early in the semester, so you just want to get them out of the way, that's fine. Again, I don't guarantee you I'll grade them all early, but I'll probably grade them as the first ones come in. But you can just go in there, submit them, and attach them just like you would to an email, but then you get get a confirmation on it and you have, it's right there for me just to access with all of the other assignments. So, that's not required. If you want to print out a copy and hand it to me in class, that's perfectly fine. It's, no, I'm not, you know, some people like to handwrite them out, and that's fine too. You know, i had people last semester who'd handwrite them and then scan them and then attach them. And you know, whatever way you whatever way is had, as long as I get them before the deadline I give you, I don't I'm not picky on it. But I try to give you that as an option and I think this work seemed to work. We did this over the summer and it worked a lot better than me trying to dig through emails trying to find, you know, your your assignments. Everything was at least in one place for the class. So again, you're welcome to use that, you're welcome to just bring, the, bring a copy of it in if you want to for the assignment. Grading, I went through all the assignments last time. Again, if you break that down and add that up, there's about 1,200, there are 1,200 points for the class that you can possibly get. I do that pretty, it's really a straight 90, 80, 70, 60 scale. Zoom that in a little more, a little better. Okay. A little bit better there. 90 80 70 60 scale. So that usually works out it usually it's worked out pretty good. But it does mean just don't write off something, you know, I don't feel like doing the homeworks. That's fine, but 120 points will drop you a letter grade. So I mean that's fine if you don't want to do them, but you're not going to get an A. You know, unless you do perfect on everything else, well you could. If you do perfect on everything else, you'll make it. But Odds of doing perfect and not missing one question here along the way someplace is not, is not very good. So, same thing with the article review. Some people, I don't want to do those. Well, that's fine, but then you're, you know, you're starting out at 90% is your maximum instead of 80. So, the most important thing, and people usually do pretty well. I mean, A's and B's and C's are, you know, usually the average is somewhere in the B range for people who've turned things in. Usually the people that end up down here are people who decided not to do the homeworks, not to do the articles, took half the quizzes, didn't bother to do this, well you've already killed your grade. So really doing the work if you turn the assignments is, as I put them up on the board you usually people do, ju- do end up doing just fine in it. The other thing I look at is in terms of rounding grades because you'll see I was kind of strict here. A B is 80 to 89.99 or 179.9 or 10, 1079.9 points. I'm not always that mean, I can be, it depends on how you've done, on what you've done in the class. And usually what I've looked at, and I've done this for some people, I've had people who've gotten a 79.8. And in that 79.8, you know, I'd usually look at, okay, if I round you up, you're real close to a B, do you deserve the B? I look at what you did, and this one person, a semester or two ago, turns out they did like four of the homeworks and missed a couple quizzes. So, I left them where they were. Is that mean? Yeah, maybe, but if you'd, just, if you'd done one more homework, you would have been there. So, that's usually what I, now, again, I'm not that mean that if you missed one homework out of the semester, you missed one assignment. I'm not that mean, but when I see a pattern, like someone only did half the homework, or didn't do, you know, half the articles, or didn't do, you know, didn't do a project, or missed the quizzes. Not just poor grades on them, at least if you took them, I'm looking for you to have done them. You might have done poorly on the homeworks, but at least if you tried them, that's what I'm looking for in terms of rounding up the grades. Now, that usually doesn't apply to many people. It's usually between five classes that I teach each semester, it's usually, you know, one or two students that end up in that range. Most of the people are either, you know, 77% where it's not close, or 87%, you know, where it's not that close to the next grade. Or you know they got you know 90.1 or 80.3 and it didn't matter. So, but just as a thing, just to look at, I'm looking at what you did. So I'm looking that you made the attempt and that you were here. I look at the attendance as well. So if you missed, you know, if you were real close but you missed 10 or 12 classes, I'd probably figure if you'd been here for some of those 10 or 12 classes, you probably would have done a little bit better. So those are the things I look at in terms of rounding. But it's, again, it's only for those very close grades. But it does give you a little incentive just to make sure you've done the work. All right. so those are looking at rounding up grades. Um, The class schedule, here we are, week of August 20. Again, when you look at that, everything, I've given everything for the Monday of the week. So you're going to see things on September 3rd, that does not mean they're due September 3rd when we don't even meet. That's Labor Day. So we're not even going to be here September 3rd. It's what we're going to be doing that week. So lab two will probably be done that week. The first exam will either be, probably be Wednesday or Friday of that week depending on exactly how things, how things go through this first couple chapters. It might be with the holiday, your first exam might actually be, end up being the beginning of the following week. We'll see how that works but the assignments are probably going to be due sometime during that week. It's just to give you a guideline for it. I'll put official dates up on the board and that's what you need to, need to worry about. So everything should be coming off of that. It should match up pretty well but you know, the homework assignment will be due probably sometime in that week. The next homework assignment which I'll give you then will probably be due about sometime the week of the 10th. So that's just to follow along and sort of give you an idea to so sort of plan roughly when things will occur. Again, depending on how things go, if I fall ahead or behind. You know, third exam might be a week later. Might be in the following week depending on where we exactly fall. But it gives you a rough idea of what to expect. And is what chapters we will be doing in what order. You will see chapters 4 through 8 there. That's correct. We are going to go through five chapters in one week. Those are the chapters on the solar system which we don't really cover. That's the subject of the other course. But part of the Setup of this course, um, the description of it requires the going through the planets. So I do go through those. I spend one unit on them. So I will give you some more detailed information on that. So that is correct. I'm not going to ask you to read all those all those chapters in one week. I'm just going to say, you know, skim through them, glance at them, but look really at the material that I give you for those, for those chapters. I don't want you to have to be stuck with five chapters in one week. Attendance, most of the rest of this is. You know, you're expected to be here, standard college policy, obviously if you're really sick, we don't want you here, you know, I don't want you here, the rest of the class probably doesn't want you here if you're really sick, they don't want to be sick either, so I do grade the attendance as I've, as I've let you know, that's a chance for a little bit of extra credit, so you can actually get a little bit of extra credit by being here for every class. And I do look at that with the grading. If you do quit showing up, you do get dropped from the class. If you just stop showing up and don't give me a drop form, and I haven't seen you here in two or three weeks, according to the college, I can just have you dropped. Now if you're dropped then, it's it's dropped with an F. Because you haven't been doing any work and you haven't been here. So if you're going to drop the course, if something comes up, let me know. You know, I don't want to just give somebody up, but when you disappear for a month, it's like, okay, right, they're coming back again, and then you know, I can email you. Then you know, don't really contact. So let me know. Sometimes things happen. You will send me an email. You know, there's an emergency, and I can't talk right now. but I'm, you know, I need to drop the course, but I can't get you know. If you let me know, and I know things in advance, I can work with you more. But once I've already dropped it, it's not there's not a lot I can do. So if I don't see you showing up, I don't just kind sort of hang on. Usually, I'll put you through the drop just to clear the class roster. Um makeup work. I will look at it. You know, if I'll look at it on a case by case basis. If there's a need, you know, you had some emergency, you were in the hospital with appendicitis. Okay, maybe that's a reasonable reason to give, you know. There are reasons that I'll give you, you know, there would be excused makeup work, there'd be other things, you know, you just you couldn't get something done. I will give you let you sit, lets you submit an assignment later, but I do take off some points for that, and usually about 25%. So means like on a If there's a 10-point assignment, it means you get like seven and a half points out of it. If you missed a lab and you had to make up the lab, you'd get you could get up to seven and a half out of 10. If you missed an article and I let you submit it late, you can get 30 out of 40. Not great, but it sure beats a zero. So I will, on occasion, and it depends. It's on a case-by-case basis. So I don't, you know, let me know again if there's issues. The best thing to make it easy is if you let me know in advance. Doesn't always happen, you know. If you're in an auto accident and you're unconscious, there's not much you can do to. To tell me, you know, you're not going to be in class, and I don't, you know, I, I can understand things like like that will occasionally happen. Hopefully, not to anybody in this class. So, um, but you know, let me know, you know, if something happened you're sick. Send me an email, just letting me know that you're not going to be there. It just helps that I have that communication, so I know I know what's going on. In terms of getting a W, I'm really very nice on it. If you need a W and you're dropping the course, as long as you've been here and have been working, and trying, I'm Pretty fine with giving you a W up to the last day of class. You know, you might want to do it before that. You might not want to wait till the last minute because if you miss their deadlines, there's nothing they can do to drop you, and then I can only give you a final grade. But I'm usually pretty flexible about it if you've been there and trying. The ones I'm not is if you, again, haven't been turning in assignments. So if you come to me at the end of the class and you didn't do this assignment or that assignment, you didn't do no, did no homeworks, you didn't take half the quizzes, you didn't do this or that, didn't show up half the time, then I'm not likely to give you a a W at that point. But if you've been here and trying and you're just not succeeding, it happens, then you know, I'll be more than happy to give you the W even you know on December, what is it, 3rd, 4th, 7th? That would be pushing it because I think there's a 3 p.m. deadline where they have to process the grade, so you want to do it earlier than that, but you know, I'm still willing to do that for you. Alright, what else is here? Delayed opening, schedule, We are normally a 9 o'clock class, meaning if there is a freak snowstorm here coming up in October as we had last year, that we would meet at, of course that was on the weekend so it didn't affect us anyway, but instead of meeting at 9 o'clock, we meet at 11.20. And if it's a Friday, we meet at 9 o'clock, we meet from 11.20 to 11.55 and then we meet again from 12 to 12.35. So, we would have a lab day, a shortened lab day. So if that were to happen on a Friday. Probably not something we have to worry about, but you know, you never know when everything's going to flood and there's going to be problems like we had last fall or, you know, freak snowstorm last October. We had a nice nice big snowstorm at the end of what the end of October. Drop dates. That's why everybody's still here, right? You got you got till the 27th. You got to put up for a few more days and you have till the 27th is the last day to get out of here with a full t- tuition refund. So, 27th is next Monday. So, if you're going to drop, don't. I think, I hope you'll enjoy the course. But if you need to get out, that's your last chance to actually do that. The last chance to get out without a grade for this class would be the 10th of September. So you have a couple weeks to do that. And hopefully, if things go well, I hope I have the, I try to get the first exam done for you by then. So at least you know how you did on the first exam. Now that might end up being the day of the first exam. But of course I grade pretty quickly, because usually if you take the exam here and you're done at 10 o'clock, I have the grades up by noon. So usually the exam grades are up there real quick, so you'd still have that chance. And I'll try to make sure we get that first exam in there, just just so you have a feel for an exam. You know what you're doing. You've had some graded assignments back. And you can say, you know, I want to get out with no grade on my record. Because after that, you know, on September 11th, then you get a W or an F. I'll try to get your first exam in there. All right, assignments. Typically, I assign, so assignment exams are graded within a week. That's what they like us to do. I'm usually done the same day. Usually exams are done and up the same. Usually, unless something has come up that I can't get it done for some reason, usually, usually that day I'll have the exam grades up. Assignments are typically back within a week, if not sooner. Just depends exactly on scheduling and how quick I get things done. I usually try to get them back to you as quick as I can. And I think the rest of this just defines what the this is college policies towards excused and unexcused absences, academic dishonesty, um, and the disability statement, I gotta update that one too. The disability statement that if you, have a, if you have a disability or anything, it has to go through the office, through Cooper 230 here, not through me directly. So if you have something that entitles you to, you know, extra time on an exam or anything, they'll send me, they have to go through them and document it and they give me the paperwork. So, alright. So a day and a half to go through the syllabus this time, sorry, but I wanted to make sure we get through everything there. Any questions on that before we get on to the new material. Nope, nope, alrighty. Well, we'll start off with chapter zero. And again, that is an unusual book. It does start with chapter zero. Chapter zero covers a lot of information. So for those who have had astronomy 103, a lot of this we spent like two chapters on going through what's condensed into one chapter in this book. They go through a lot of detail in this one and kind of cover it in a summary. But it's some things that you need to see for either class, um, either class whichever it applies to all of them. So charting the heavens, there's kind of a nice picture. Um, you can see not only the nice scenery, right, but you also get to see the stars out there. And you can see maybe, vaguely, can you see it there? Maybe i got to turn the other one off too. Can you vaguely see maybe our, here we go, does it adjust? Can you see it? You can see also our galaxy there. Our galaxy is called the Milky Way. It's this very faint band that's going across up here. I don't know, I think with both lights off is that a little more visible? You can sort of see. That's actually our galaxy. It's our view of our galaxy from the inside. So. We're inside the galaxy looking out. You may have seen pictures of other galaxies, you know, beautiful spiral galaxies with all sorts of you know, spiral arms and everything on them. This is what it would look like from the inside view. If you're stuck in that galaxy looking out, we see just this band of light going across the sky. We have to use other methods to be able to decipher what our galaxy really looks like. And that's something we'll come back to much later in the course. We'll talk about when we get to studying our galaxy and talk about how we were able to determine what our galaxy really looks like. So, chapter zero is divided up into a couple different things. Really, we're going to look at you know, what we see. What does the sky look like? How does the earth appear to move? How does the sun, how does the earth move? Okay, the earth is really moving. How does the sun appear to move in the sky? How does the moon appear to move in the sky? Those are quite different and not things that are really obvious to us. And We talk about astronomers hundreds of years ago. You know how stupid they were, right? The Earth, Everything went around the Earth. It's really not that stupid a thing because if you go out there at night and go and, you know, go sit out at night and just lie down and look, what does it look like? It looks like the stars are rising in the east and setting in the west. It's very obvious that they're going around the Earth. It's wrong, we know now. But it's not really that they were that stupid, they were just going by what they, what you saw. And it made perfect sense to them. And it fit their scientific models at the time. It, they were able to explain exactly, you know, it explained, why, well, okay, the sun was gonna come up again the next day and at what time they could do, they could be able to calculate that. They could explain the motions of the moon the same way. Motions of the planets were a lot harder. Motions of the planets are a lot different than the others. And that took a lot more work. But they could even explain the motions of the planets pretty accurately leaving the Earth at the center of the universe. You could explain that how the planets appeared to move in the sky. So we're going to go over some of that and talk about the motions. And then we'll talk about distances. Distance measurements is something that you're going to see from this chapter pretty much through the end of the course. Trying to determine how we determine distances in astronomy. It's a very tough thing to do. You, know, you can't go take a tape measure to the nearest star and figure out how far away it is. You can't take a tape measure to the sun or the moon either. Moon we got a little bit of an advance that we can, you know, we can bounce a radar signal off the moon and there's ways to calculate that. So you can calculate a distance to the moon. Well that works for the moon, works for Venus, works for Mars, doesn't work for much else in the solar system. So it gets you a few very close objects. You can't bounce a radar signal off the sun. The sun's just this big soft ball of <coughs> plasma gas. You really can't bounce anything off. it. It absorbs the radar signal so it wouldn't reflect anything back to us to measure. So distances, when we get beyond that, it's very difficult to measure distances. And it's actually what we call a distance ladder. There's a chain of of measurements that we use to determine how far away a galaxy is. And we we start off with measuring distances to nearby stars, then to more distant stars, then to galaxies, and there's a bunch of different methods that we use. So you're going to see distances coming up throughout the course. And then science and the scientific method is something that we will go over and actually we'll look a little bit on that on Friday as well with we'll look at that we'll look at that on Friday and then we'll be the lab we'll be doing for Friday for this week we'll actually involve that as well so the obvious view what do we see we aren't special i said it looks like we are looks like if you go out there and lie out there at night and watch the stars it sure looks like they're revolving right around you right and watch the sun the sun rises and sets every day sure looks like it's doing the moving around the earth And that's what we thought thousands of years ago. The Earth was special. We were in a special place in the universe and everything revolved around us. Copernicus came along and said, well, no, Earth isn't special. The Sun is special. The Sun's at the center of everything. And the Earth is just a planet going around the Sun. We learned later the Sun isn't even that special. The Sun isn't at the center center of anything. In fact, we know now there is no center to anything. So there is no center of the universe. There is no special place in the universe. Every place is just really the same as any other place. There is no center to the universe as we think about it. What is a universe? The universe? The universe is really everything. So everything we'll be studying in astronomy. It's the next definition. Astronomy is just the study of the universe. is just studying anything that we see in space. In any time. All matter. All energy. That's just every, everything that's here is part of the universe. So everything we can see is part of our universe. The scales are really large. Lots of numbers. We have a couple different terms you'll see. You'll see astronomical unit used sometimes. That's the Earth-Sun distance. the average Earth-Sun distance, I should say, or about 93 million miles. Now actually, it's the average Earth-Sun distance. The Earth orbits in what we call an ellipse, so sometimes it's a little bit closer to the Sun, which occurs in January. Sometimes it's a little bit further away from the Sun, July. Backwards, right? Doesn't seem like it should be that way, does it? But it is we're actually closest to the sun in January, furthest away in July, meaning that how far we are away from the sun has nothing to do with the seasons. Otherwise January would be hot and July would be cold. It turns out the difference isn't that big. Maybe a million or 2 million miles closer. Boy, that's a lot. That's a lot closer, right? But a million miles out of 2 million out of 93 million miles? That's like 1 mile on your 93 mile drive. It's it's a start, but it you're not. You're not really feeling like you're there yet. You know. You're not. You're feeling like you just got started. So it's a very small change. It does make a little bit of difference, and it does make summer or summer a little bit milder in the northern hemisphere, and winter a little bit milder because of that. But it's not a big difference. But the astronomical unit is one measure that we'll use, and that's abbreviated often as just AU, and we use that a lot in within the solar system. So we talk about things like Jupiter is five AUs from the sun instead of you know, how many millions of miles. It's a number that we can comprehend. Right? I can understand five. You know, When somebody gives me five of something, One, two, three. I, can, I got that on my fingers. I can count that high. I can figure out what, how far five is away. I might not comprehend the exact distance, but I can at least get it relative to the earth. I can say, oh, the earth is so far away, then Jupiter is five times further in that way. That, that makes sense to me. The other one is the light year, or LY, light year. That is the distance light travels in one year. Makes sense, right? One light year is how far light travels in one year. Takes about four, the nearest star is about four light years away, a little over four light years away. So light year is a distance measure, not a time measure. So it is measuring distance. Not time, although time is related to it. Because it means when you go and look out at the sky, the nearest star, ignore just our solar system, for most of the stuff we'll study in this class, you know, the nearest star is the closest. That's four light years away. That means that the light we see from Alpha Centauri left there in 2008. Left there four years ago. If there is a civilization on Alpha Centauri looking at us, you know, they got a great big powerful telescope that's, you know, well beyond anything we could possibly do that could see us, you know, they're still, they're still watching the presidential election of 2008, not 2012. They'd have no clue yet, you know, who won the election. They'd have no clue. The information is not, tra- it's traveling, it's getting there, but it hasn't gotten there yet. That's the close one. Other stars that are hundreds of light years away. You know, the stars in Orion are you know, 800 or so light years away. So they see us as we were 800 years ago. So not 2012, but what? 1212. Back in the Middle Ages. You know, so if they had a great big powerful telescope, we'd look quite different than we really are. And we have to take that into account how things have changed. And again, that's still close. If we start looking at galaxies, The Andromeda galaxy is two million light years away. Well, what was human civilization like two million years ago? That's like the very earliest possibly. A million to two million is maybe the very earliest. Very earliest humanoid type creatures on the earth. That's the closest galaxy. We talk about galaxies and there's objects that we can look at where the light left them long before the earth formed. So, you know, light traveled 10 billion, 10 billion years to get to us. Well, when it left there, the Earth hadn't even formed yet, so what are those objects like now? We don't know. Can't even tell you what the sun looks like right now. I can look out and tell you what it looked like eight and a half minutes ago. That's how long the light took to get there. The light, the sun blew up right now at, what is it, 936 I've got? We'll know about it just well, a few minutes before class ends. So we still wouldn't know, we still wouldn't know about it. Alright, let me do my other one here I did for them. Just to give you an idea of those distances and to give you an idea of how, how empty things are. That's my little, let's see, let's do the earth first. It's going to be my earth and sun. So I'm going to use it as the earth and the sun. So right now it's the earth. And to scale, just to do an earth moon scale, this would be about to the right size. This would be about the size of the moon. So. Earth and moon. Earth, moon is much, much smaller than the Earth. You know, Significantly small. You can fit a whole bunch of moons inside the Earth, but it's still pretty, pretty good and comparable to it. And the moon orbits around the Earth. So it dips around there, in pretty much a circle. Sometimes it's a little closer, sometimes it's a little further away, but it's pretty much a circle. But the big thing is, is how far away it is. If we do that, is the scale, if we could convince the whole Earth down to that size and keep everything to scale, where the moon would be you know, in distance, you know, how far away would it, is it going to be orbiting around in a circle here? How close, how close really is it to the Earth? And it's actually going to end up to that scale, it's going to end up about 25 feet away. So, in order to do the Earth, there's the Earth. In order to do the Moon to the right scale, I've got to come back here about to the back of the class. So, the Moon really orbits around in a circle at about this distance and stays around there. So, you can't even put the Moon's orbit in the classroom. To that scale, that's the Earth. You can't put the Moon's orbit in the classroom, right? I can do the size of it, but if I try to walk the whole way, I'm going to smash into that wall. If I try to stay in the same distance away, and by the time I get back up there, I'm down in the next classroom. And that's the Earth. And what's in between those? Nothing. The Earth's atmosphere, you know, is the little fuzziness on this. About to scale, about the little fuzziness on that, on that ball, would be the Earth's atmosphere. There's a few satellites orbiting around, a few little tiny specks orbiting, again, really, really close to it. There's not much in between there. If we instead make that the sun and look at the sun and the earth. okay, stay there. My earth is a little bit smaller as compared to the sun. Here's my little earth. Can you see? Actually, this is too big for the earth. This is about twice as big as the earth should be. But it's the one I found that was pretty pretty close. So if we have that being the sun, that's the earth to scale. Fit a heck of a lot of earths inside the sun. If you're studying just the solar system, most of the material, the only thing worth studying is the sun. That's where all the material is. Everything else is just little leftovers. Little leftovers from the formation. But now the big one is distance again here. How far away do we have to put the earth from the sun? Now we've got Mercury. You look at the pictures and you've got the sun and you've got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, right? You've got everything there and you fit it all here. Well to do it to this scale, Keep this as the sun, i got to go, I've got to put the sun out in the hallway, I can't do. couldn't do it in the classroom. I've got to put the sun out in the hallway and walk about 90 feet. About three times further than where I went to the back of the classroom for the, for the moon, Earth moon. That would be the Earth and the sun. What's in between that 90 feet? Again, 90 feet, so three times, two more specks like this. There's nothing else there. Give me an idea of how empty the space is. Where would Jupiter be? Jupiter would be about five times further away than the Earth, so 90 feet for the Earth. 450 feet away for Jupiter. Saturn's about twice that far away. Uranus is about twice that far away again. What's in between those? Nothing else. Yes, there's some specks and there's some aster and little bits of, du- not, not a lot. It's pretty much empty. So I just wanted to give you, I did this for my 103 class goes through this right now. I just wanted to give you a little bit of the same taste of it while we were talking about distances and sizes and how small you know, try to put the Earth kind of into perspective when we look at all this. We're just, we're this little teeny tiny thing in the universe. Alright, so what do we see when we look out at the sky? Constellation of Orion there is what's projected, is what they're looking at. Have everybody seen Orion in the winter? It's one of those, usually one of those constellations that people recognize. It's got a couple bright stars inside of a big box and then three stars and a belt. No, it's one of those, ones. All, all those are really bright stars, nice and easy to see. But when we look at stars, when we look at the sky, we lose the three-dimensional view that really exists. So we don't see how things really look in the sky. It all looks like the stars are on this great big celestial sphere, great big sphere that orbits around the earth. That is how things look in the sky. You can't see, when you look at the stars in the sky, you can't look at them and tell me, oh, this one's closer, this one's further away. And what is shown here is that, you know, here, this star in Orion, boy, that one's real close to us. There's Betelgeuse, that one's real close, that one's relatively close to us. But boy, this one in the belt is much, much further away. So we don't really see that. You lose that aspect of it when we look at distances. And as I said, some of these stars are, some of these typical stars are about 800 light years away from us. There's about 1,000 light years. Some are a little closer. Here's one that's even more than 1,000 light years away. But we lose that aspect of distance. You can't see it. I mean, even when you look at the moon, can you tell how much closer the moon is than the stars? Well, maybe because it looks bigger to you. you. You interpret it as closer, but you really can't get the... I can't maybe somebody else sees it better but I really can't I can't sit there and look at the stars and say oh that one's closer that one's closer I can look it up and tell you but I can't just look and see it looks like everything is on this great celestial sphere orbiting around the earth which is what the early astronomers used as their model for how things worked in the sky everything was on this great celestial sphere that orbited the earth but you have to remember that you're losing this aspect if you could travel 500 light years away from the earth and you could zip out here in the direction of Orion, well you'd pass a couple of the stars the constellation of Orion as we know it would be gone right? because two of the stars would be, if you're standing there and you travel out a couple of the stars are that way, the rest of the stars are this way. You've gotten closer so some of them have spread out a little bit more. The constellation would, would look quite different if you could move further away from the earth. Not within the solar system. Anything within the solar system isn't going to change enough. You have to get really out there. You've got to get hundreds of light years out. But as you start passing some stars, you pass Betelgeuse, all of a sudden Orion's going to lose his head and shoulders, right? That's the top, that's the top of the body of the hunter. Those are going to be on one side of the sky. He's been beheaded? I don't know. Maybe he's been beheaded. You know, his head's on that side of it, and the rest of him is still over here. It would be a completely different constellation. We lose that aspect when we look at when we're looking at the sky. So what we call the celestial sphere is what we appear to see. The stars look like they are on the surface of a sphere that surrounds the Earth. It's not what they really are, but it's useful to astronomers in order to be able to figure out where positions, where things are, to point out where something is in the sky to another astronomer. They do something similar to what people use to determine positions on the Earth. Right? Latitudes and longitudes. If you want to know where you are on the Earth, a latitude and a longitude will tell you exactly where you are. Latitude tells you how far you are north or south of the equator on the Earth. And longitude tells you how far you are east or west of what we call the prime meridian, which is a line going through uh, Greenwich, England. So it's a way to tell us exactly where we are. Those coordinates that everybody agrees on tell us, you know, where we are on the Earth. I can give you a coordinates and say, you know, 80 some degrees west and 40 degrees north and you're some you're some location on the earth and everybody agrees that that's the same area. Astronomers do the same thing on the sky. They don't use latitude and longitude but they use something very similar. What they do is they project the Earth's equator out onto the sky. So if you imagine the Earth's equator and just stretch it out going straight out into space eventually it intersects that great celestial sphere and then you can imagine that's just a place on the celestial sphere and you could be either north of that as we are north of the equator here on the earth you could be south of that or you could pass right through the middle of it the celestial equator passes right through the constellation of Orion. Orion's belt is pretty much right on the celestial equator. So we use the celestial equator helps us then to determine what would be similar to latitude on the earth is what astronomers call declination. which is essentially like the latitude on the Earth. How far you are north or south of the equator on the Earth, how far you are north or south of the celestial equator on, that's supposed to be an N, how far you are north or south of the celestial equator on the sky. So it just gives us a way to give a set of coordinates or one of the first coordinate to the sky, to the, to the object on the sky. And that's the same for anybody anywhere on the Earth. So that an astronomer here can observe it and then send that information to another astronomer who can then go observe the same. They know exactly where it is. Oops, wait a second. I'm giving them, let me give them both here and I'll come back and do them again in a second. I skipped a same. Now the other one, we've got to figure out a way around. The other one we use is called right ascension. And that is analogous to longitude essentially tells you how far you are around the celestial sphere. So if I want to know where I am on the Earth, give a latitude and a longitude and I can tell you exactly where that is. I can tell you if it's in North America, if it's in South America, if it's in Africa, Europe, Asia, you know, I can tell you exactly what that location is. In the sky we do the same thing except astronomers will give a right ascension and a declination. And that gives an exact coordinate and tells me where on the sky any star has a very specific right ascension and declination and if an astronomer wants to point one out to another or send it in a, information, here's a star to look at, here's a galaxy to look at, they all have a very specific point to go to. Now I'll come back to those again in one second here but let me do this as how we measure things. Should we be able to get this, yep, angles. When you measure things on the celestial sphere, as I said, we lose that aspect of distance. So when we look on the sky and try to say, you know, how far away is the... You see the moon. If you go out in the morning right now, you see Venus and Jupiter. If you're out before sunrise. If you're one of those early risers and you're out before sunrise, you can see Venus and Jupiter rising in the eastern sky before the Sun. How far apart are they? Well, they were closer together a while ago. They're spreading apart now. But you don't say that they're two feet apart or two inches apart, you, know, you can't measure things at that distance. We measure things in angles on the sky. So just as we did latitude and longitude are given in degrees, right ascensions and declinations are done similarly. And what we do is you split up the entire circle, right? Everyone knows, right? Circles 360 degrees, right? That one we know. Well, 360 degrees, a degree is a very big measure in astronomy. <coughs> Things that are a degree apart are pretty widely separated. You use that when you're talking about things you can actually see in the sky. So you're looking at you know, how far apart two planets are. Degrees will, ma- degrees will make sense. When you're looking at the sizes of objects, a degree is very big. The biggest objects in the sky, there's two of them, the sun and the moon. are about the same size. They're both about half a degree. Those are the biggest things. If you start looking at sizes of planets, You start looking at sizes of stars or measuring galaxies. You're talking about much smaller measurements. So we take that degree and we split it into 60 pieces. So that's 1 360th of a degree and we split that into 60 pieces. There's that degree. 1 60th of that is one arc minute. So just as you split an hour into 60 minutes, you split a degree into 60 minutes. We do the same thing with each of those arc minutes. Take one arc minute, now we've zoomed in just on this arc minute there, split that into 60 pieces, and just like you divide a minute into 60 seconds, you divide an arc minute into 60 arc seconds. So that tells us a way of measuring very, very small distances. The moon would be, the moon or sun would be about 30 arc minutes across, about half a degree. Anything else that we look at if you measure the size of the planets, you're talking about a few arc minutes in size. There are some objects when we look at stars and how far apart stars are, you talk about arc seconds or even fractions of arc seconds. So when you think about that, you're taking this degree here, dividing it into 3,600 pieces and then measuring that very very small angle. Very, very tiny angles that astronomers have to be able to measure. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and stop. I'll come back and review this briefly on Friday and then, go, and then go on. So if you haven't gotten everything you need to from here, I'm going to come back here and pick this up on Friday and then finish up. I have a little bit on right ascension and declination before we, before we go on. Questions? No. Nope.